Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. are recording and we are recording hey everybody everyone good today pretty good everyone looks happy (laughs) so we're going to be talking about um sports today so we have a slightly different crew we're giving bill the day off today which is good we're giving joe shaw the day off because we're actually recording on tuesday so joe's got a lot on his plate so in his place we have with us gavin manu publisher of the express news group hey gavin hi annette how are you today Good. Everything going good in your neck of the woods? Yeah, like you said, it's Tuesday. I I, I like that you said Bill and Joe were, quote, taking the day off, which uh, I don't <laughs> think any of us are doing today. But we are taking a little time out to have this conversation with you. Right. Right. Well, they're taking the day off the podcast, I should say. They got off easy. And also with us is Drew Budd. And Drew Budd is our sports editor. Hi, Drew. Hi, how's, how's it going that? Good. I haven't, haven't had you on in a while. It's been a little bit of time. Yeah, I think I came on here like right when I came back, like last February, and that was it. Remember we're talking <laughs> sports. And also with us this week is Kaylin Riley, who writes a lot of everything. Sports are the best. I love talking about sports. Yeah. <laughs> so you grew up as a real sports kid, obviously. Well, I mean, I watched tons of sports and I played one sport which we're going to talk about today, uh-huh. the sport that I played, uh-huh. field hockey. I, th- I, think com- I think combined, Kaylin, Drew, and I have been roaming the sports sidelines for, for probably pushing 40 years. So um, we, we... Don't, don't say, please don't say that. That makes that, that, that's a, that's a <laughs> that's combined so total. That's a combined total. I know, I know. Still seems so high, though. Well, Gavin, you played as well. You were a football player with East Hampton High School. I was, absolutely. I I think all of us were were athletes in our younger days. Um, But yes, I I went to East Hampton High School. I know Kaylin is a proud Pearson graduate. That's right. And Drew, you were uh, were Patchogue or no? What was your school? Yeah, yeah. I went to Patchogue Medford. I graduated in 2002. And And what uh, were your sports? I, I played baseball. I played varsity, summer baseball. Uh, right before my senior year and then you know I was a teenager so I didn't I didn't play my senior year because I was dope but yeah (laughs) I I didn't play anything in high school because I was really into the drama department Um, but I was good enough to probably have made the volleyball team but I never did and then in college I played a little bit of ultimate frisbee which is totally different thing but oh nice Very cool, though. I was also the 11th man on the JV basketball team. And uh, anybody who knows <laughs> basketball knows that five on five is a scrimmage. So the 11th man generally sort of shot some hoops <laughs> off to the side and kind of took it on with. Yeah, but I guess you got to hang out with Ed Petrie, so it's worth it. Absolutely. Ed Petrie was my bitty basketball coach, uh, you know, used to bring Kenny Wood around, who was a legend in our eyes. And, uh, you know, Coach Petrie was really phenomenal and uh, I'm glad I got a little taste of the basketball program, but yeah, that wasn't exactly for me. That's cool. Who was your coach on the football team, yeah? My my football coach was uh, Dave McGarva. Um, we were were kind of standard Bonnick football, sort of hovering around 500. But we had a team, which mm-hmm. uh, can't always be said. And um, yeah, that was the early years, coming right off the Ted Meyer and uh, Coach Burns years oh, in East Hampton. Wow, gotcha. 
So growing yeah. up in, um, in Ohio, of course, football was huge. And I actually, I forgot, I did get a varsity letter because I was the offensive stat keeper for the football team. My, uh, oh, nice. Year. So go. I got to ride the team bus and everything. And yeah, that was fun. That's it was exciting. big, you know, Friday night football was huge huge in, in Ohio. Yeah. So, um, but the reason that sure. the reason we thought we talked and Gavin, you also played in college. You can't play college ball as well, right? I did. I, uh, I, w- I played division three football at Wesleyan university in Connecticut. Um, and, and I know, you know, we're going to talk a little bit today about high school athletes and how they, uh, sort of make that leap, mm-hmm. but, um, it was a, a wonderful experience. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not easy to, to get from the high school level up to college, no matter what level you're playing on. Right. And if it's you're talking not- division one, it's a whole other ball game, right? Oh yeah. Um, a friend of a friend of mine from Pearson, her son goes to Maryland and he is actually the equipment manager for the um the University of Maryland football team. I mean, he's on the they're they're like on a jet flying to Ohio State and Michigan. And mm-hmm. you know, it's like what? It's crazy. I mean, I'm used to old school buses, but it's a big deal, right? Yeah, when you get to division one, it's it's you're not too far removed from almost like the pro ranks in right. NCAA. Yeah. I've I've uh flew on a chartered jet with the Villanova football team back when I was in college when they played in the division one double a tournament and fondly remember um, the father of the quarterback of the football team handing me a piece of paper with um, headline ideas for the article I was going to write for the student (laughs) newspaper not too involved was he (laughs) they were definitely not like a neutral objective headlines (laughs) yeah what a shock (laughs) not much has changed no, not at all. That was a uh, that was like a real glimpse into the, my future life. So, uh, so one of the reasons we're talking about this this week is that we just went through some of the state finals for some of our local teams, and we could talk a little bit about how those teams fared. But we also want to talk about the idea of coaching and how kids are being presented and the motivation of sportsmanship in this day and age of competitive college admissions. So Drew and Kaylin, you were both upstate this past week with them, local teams. Well, I think Kaylin got to go to states, but it was, it was just in center reach. So, but I I think, you know, with the segue to, you know, kind of what you were talking about there, I think it might be good for her to start off with, you know, the Pearson field hockey team. uh, Who played in the States. So States was not upstate. States was up Island is what we're saying. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> Which was rare. I mean, that's a rare thing. I don't think, I don't think it's ever been held in Suffolk County. Usually you're sending back snow pictures from Syracuse at this point in the, in the game. Yeah. I mean, I think part of the, I know that part of the calculus that goes into choosing where to host state tournaments has to just do with the facilities, obviously. So like, for instance, the boys soccer has been held at Middletown high school the past couple of years because they have two side-by-side fields, um, one's turf, one's grass. Um, at Center Reach High School, they have two um, turf fields and field hockey is a game that is just made to be played on turf. So that may have been part of the calculus, but it, it did feel strange to be at a state tournament on in Suffolk County. But that said, I was very glad it was there. Um, I, I, I would be in support of it being there all the time so that I don't have to drive all the way upstate. But What I would have driven upstate for on Saturday would have been um, an 11 nothing loss that the Pearson field hockey team was handed by uh, Whitney Point, a Binghamton area team that is an undisputed powerhouse. Um, So Pearson won the state championship for the first time ever 
my alma mater, they finally did it. In 2013, uh, they were led by Casey Gilbride and I was there covering that. That was in Syracuse and it was thrilling. They won um, on a Casey Gilbride goal in double overtime. It was really exciting. Um, everything high school sports is supposed to be about. Um, so they won that in 2013. Then from 2014 until 2008 through 2018, Whitney Point won the state championship, which is a like dynasty powerhouse run to, to win that many state championships in a row. Uh, I think Bronxville won it in 2019, and then they did not have states in 2020. So Whitney Point was back this year. And if you looked at their record going in, you knew that they were obviously the heavy, heavy favorite. They were undefeated at 16 and 0. And when I looked up their, um, their scores of their games on uh, online, I noticed that they were basically annihilating everyone they played, um, regularly beating teams by scores of seven, nothing, 10, nothing. Uh, That's a really high score for field hockey for people that don't really play. Extremely high. So like field hockey is a bit of an obscure sport. So compare it to soccer in terms of scoring. Okay. Like it's not a high scoring sport. It's not like some people might be tempted to think maybe it's like lacrosse, which tends to be a little bit more high scoring. It's not like it's normal to see field hockey scores are comparable to what you might see in um, soccer. So yes, that is an, that is, a lot of goals to score. Um, so Pearson lost 11, nothing. Whitney point was up. It was clear from the get go. They scored it within the first 40 seconds. It was kind of just clear from the beginning, what was going to, um, what was going to be happening there. And, um, they were up five, nothing at halftime and they ended up winning 11, nothing, which basically means they did not really take their foot off the gas, even though the game was for all intents and purposes, over by halftime. So it, um, it made me think about running up the score and sportsmanship and a lot of other issues. And I did not get a chance to speak with the Whitney point coach after the game, but, um, I just had to wonder what's the point of doing that. And what does it sort of teach the kids on your team when you feel like it's necessary to beat someone by such a margin, when it's clear there's ways that you can avoid running up a score on a team. Now, the Whitney Point coach was doing a lot of substitutions in the second half, but there were two players on the team who each scored five goals, and they were playing in the second half and playing on offense still and still scoring goals. So my only thought on this is the only reason I could see for doing something like this is that these girls are, are probably interested in playing field hockey in college and trying to like pad their scores or their statistics or make themselves more attractive to colleges or trying to go to. But um, to me, it seems unnecessary and um, sort of like an unsportsmanlike lesson to be teaching the kids on your team and just kind of um, cruel in it, to be honest with you, to do to another team. So it was interesting. I spoke with athletic director, Kathy Masterson about it. She's the athletic director at West Hampton beach high school and someone whose opinion I always value. And um, she agreed that that that's just not necessary to do that. And it doesn't really teach the right lesson to kids. Her statement was what you're supposed to teach kids is you you win like a champion and you lose like a champion. So 
it would be interesting to hear what you guys think about that. But I, it did, it did make me think about this whole idea of running up the score and, and um, different philosophies around doing something like that. Yeah, well, well, well there's kind of a fine line, right? I mean, um, between a, a team that's just worked hard, clearly this team has done that uh, and is just excellent across the board. And they and they show up, you know, these kids are taught to, to play their sport at, at the highest level that they possibly can play. They come out there, they do that. Like Kaylin said, they're up 5-0. And then what do you do from there? Um, maybe, you know, these girls were possibly seniors. Maybe it was their last, you know, it was their second to last game of their careers. They obviously want to be out there. But yes, there's a fine line between winning a game and, and, and sort of humiliating your opponent. Um, you know, in some at some levels of the game, like in, there was a college football game this weekend where they the 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 uh, one team kicked a field goal as time expired, even though they were up three or four touchdowns, because their point differential is factored into a possible tiebreaker scenario at the end of the season. So sometimes there's a reason to score a lot of points. Like in, in, in some of those examples we talked about early, earlier with division one sports, there sometimes is a, they look at your total point spread. That's not what's happening here in high school sports. Um, clearly they're going to win the game. So yes, I think it's a, it's definitely an argument to be had about what's appropriate, but I'm sure those girls would have been fine, you know, sitting out the last 15, 20 minutes of the, of the half and coming back for the championship on Sunday, but they just wanted to score their goals. And, and uh, to Kalen's point, maybe, maybe pad the stats a little bit. So they look better for the next level. And so does that matter at the college level? Do they really look at that kind of thing? And, you know, I mean, I'm just wondering, you know, I don't know a lot. And I wonder if that's changed, like, you know, from the day, Gavin, when you were in college or, you know, did they, did they look at those kind of stats, like in a state game to decide whether or not you would be a likely prospect for a college team? I just wonder what we know about that. I asked Kathy Masterson about that. Mm -hmm. um, and she made two points. Number one, kids that are college recruits, especially at, at any level, really, but are, are they're playing on travel teams. And that is often where the recruits will go to find out about them, to find out how good they are. They're not just looking at what they do at the varsity level on their high school team, especially because, you know, you might be playing on a team where all of your opponents are much weaker than you because maybe you're a small school, such as Whitney Point playing in Class C. Um, it's reasonable to expect that maybe a lot of your opponents are just easy to beat. And so it doesn't give you a clear indication of whether that kid is just a, is a really good goal scorer or if they're just playing against like inferior competition all the time. Whereas in the travel team industrial complex that, you know, those kids that, whose parents are committing that money to be in those teams, they're playing at a more elite level. There's more competition generally. Also in this day and age, video is everything. So, so coaches um, and of colleges have access to a lot of content that they can watch um, if they want to see how good a player is and assess them that way. So I think that how much, um, how many goals someone scores is only like a small piece of the pie when it comes to determining how good they are and if they are good enough to fit in with your college program. And I guess you also have a lot of parental, I mean, you know, it could be do coaches feel a lot of pressure from parents. I mean, we've heard stories of that where parents are really 
getting involved in probably how their kids are coached, how much they play. I just wonder if that could be a thing, you know, is this changing? Is this different than it was when all of you guys were at high school, at the high school level? Do you feel like, like it's gotten much more competitive and more cutthroat and um, in that aspect? I think so. Yeah, for sure. I think for sure. It's definitely gotten more cutthroat, like you said, and uh, competitive, although, you know, I'm sure it was competitive when we went to school, but you know, I think I look at it as a little bit, I guess, as kind of like the bad guy. Look, you know, like, look, it's a state semifinal. If if you can't stop the other team, then you can't stop the other team. It is what it is. Now, I, with that being said, you know, I do think, uh, you know, Pearson field hockey, it was not a bad team. I mean, they they went, they got to the state semifinal by shutting out their, their last two opponents. They beat Carl Place in the Long Island Championship um to get there and they were a really good team i think um you know they just ran up they happened to run up against the best team in the state in, in the state semifinal. you know why they why whitney point felt the need to you know win by a score of 11 11 nothing I, I don't know if we're all about get the answer to that but um you know they they whitney point went on the next day and won the state state championship and they won i think it was like six to one so I, yeah, it was. I, I don't know if you know. Maybe they, maybe somebody said something to them where they were like, "Hey, why don't you just not score that many goals this time around?" But um, you know, or maybe the team was slightly better than than Pearson. But um, I mean, Whitney Point averaged seven point three goals per game over the course of eighteen yeah, games, which is a lot. That's ins- which is a lot for field insane hockey. Insane yeah. for field hockey. Yeah, we we have to be careful about faulting a team for being really good. I mean, you right. know maybe these kids just don't know how to take, take their foot off the gas. And, and, yeah. and they, when they're playing field hockey, they're playing to score goals. That, that doesn't make them bad, you know, sports necessarily. Uh, you know, you, you look at the coach and you look at some of the scenarios with, with the star players staying in the game. It seems to me like the second team could have, could have beaten Pearson pretty handily. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's probably what happened in the second half, but there, there is a, you know, uh, coaches and players. And, and when you get to these, these higher levels, they're out there to excel and to, and to win and to play their hardest. So sometimes just sort of passing the ball around the defensive backfield really isn't in their nature. So you have to consider that, yes. you know, let's not call a state champion uh, who just went to, you know, I think it was 17 or 18 and 0 season um, with obviously some, some kids who are going to go play at the next level, you know, give, give them their credit, but, but it, it is part of a larger discussion in sports these days, when you, when you have a sort of a super team like this going up against uh, clearly inferior opponents on the field, how do you handle those moments? It's, it's not, it's, it's not easy for kids at the high school level to figure that out. And that's where the coaches come into play to help them through that process. That was what was tough for me was just, you know, it's not, um, I agree with everything you just said. That's why I wanted to bring this up because I think it's such an interesting philosophical debate, right? Like, and I bet a lot of different coaches have a lot of different feelings about it. And a lot of their feelings probably are rooted in experiences that they've had, you know? So you might have a kid on your team who is maybe one of those girls, um, was in a dead heat with some, someone else for like leading goal scorer on the season. And that was an achievement they, they really wanted to have. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, at the same time, you have to find that fine line between kind of these kids, these aren't professional, you know, professional athletes, they're, they're adults, they're getting paid money to play a sport, all bets are off. But when you're talking about like interscholastic sports, there's, there's the, there's the push and pull between a varsity sport, you, 
you should try to win. And that is the goal, but you're also educating children and life lessons and all that. So it is really a fine line to try to figure out like, you know, where that is. It, it reminded me of when I used to cover the East Hampton softball team years ago, when they were dominant, when Lou Reale coached them and they had Jesse Stavola as a pitcher, they would often face teams that they would just, first of all, they would, she would no hit them almost every game. And then on top of that, they had a pretty, powerful offense as well. So they would have these games where they would just um, annihilate teams. And I remember Lou Reale like telling the girls to get caught stealing. Now that probably had more to do with just like trying to get out of the inning and make the game end at some point um, because unlike field hockey, there's not a clock. So the game could conceivably just go on forever, but there are ways to take your foot off the gas. But I agree with Gavin. It is hard when a team is firing on all cylinders like that. And that's how they play and perform. It is hard for, to, to like reel that, that back. So it's, it's a challenge for sure. Hmm. This is a national debate too, because I, I've read some stories recently too, of teams, basketball team. I, I think I read late recently, there was a team that won by like 102 points. And uh, they actually, I think the, the coach actually got like uh suspended a game or something like that that was a high school level game yeah I think it was a high school level game and then there was uh, I think I think it was Garden City actually Garden City was kind of taking the task for you know Garden City football I should say was taking the task for uh winning a a game that was you know pretty much out of hand um and there was a story in Newsday about it but um you know this is a debate that you know that everybody's kind of dealing with at the moment and it's like, yeah, how do you kind of deal with it? We had a text message exchange, Drew and Kaylin and I, after the game about what, what would 11-0 and 0 in field hockey translate to in football? And it's, pro- it's probably like 70 to zero or something like that. It's in the 70s you for know, me. Win- winning a game uh, 35 to zero or something like feels feels pretty good, right? And, you, and so I'm not going to say that you should just go out there and let the other team stay in it. Like beating a team and beating them handedly really feels good. But there is a there is a limit to that, and and I think that to Drew's point about the basketball team that won by a hundred points, especially if they have their their main main players out there towards the end of that game, I think that's again where the issue comes up. It's not that they're excellent. It's not that they're killing teams left and right. Good good for them. But uh, the, what what's the lesson learned when your top players are out there in a ten zero game still scoring goals? It seems unnecessary. Um, there are there are different circumstances at play, but yeah, there, there's a difference between winning five six zero and winning eleven zero. It's a, it's a big big margin in that sport. And also the idea of trying to get some of the other kids out there to let them have some experience. You know, if your seniors are all excellent, well, guess what? The seniors are going to move on. So you know, it seems like a, a championship game like this would be a good opportunity to get some of the younger players who are less experienced out there. You know, to motivate them and have them learn some things. But and she was. Um, definitely subbing kids in a lot in the second half. So I, I have to like say that, but as I said, the two, they outscored, they outscored this team. They scored more goals in the second half than they did in the first. And it was two girls um, who scored. So the one girl Lynch, what was her first name? Kaylee Lynch. She scored the first four goals of the game. And then Brenna Bow, who was the other player, she scored the last 
three goals of the game, one with 13 minutes left, one with nine minutes left, one with four minutes left. So Brenna Bow, who scored five goals in the game, was still playing with four minutes left in, an, in a game that they were up 10 nothing in. So again, I don't know this coach at all, so I feel bad sort of picking on her without having had a chance to speak to her. But those are those are stats that I'm looking at from the game. You know, so it just, again, maybe, maybe there's something that she would have said to me if I had had the chance to talk to her, that would have made me understand a bit more, but um, it's, it's, it's just an interesting situation because, you know, as Nina Hemby, the Pearson field hockey coach said after the game, she was like, look, we made it to the state final four. Like you make it to state final four. You've had a great season, but it sours the experience a little bit to lose in such demoralizing fashion for me, at least anyway, you know, kind of like how were the girls after the loss? Annette field hockey players always cry when they lose state semifinal games. There's no, no matter the score. Hockey, wait a minute. There's so much crying in field hockey. <laughs> I can attest so yeah they were crying but um uh, you know we real we realized after these games uh, covering sport high school sports that these are kids yeah. you know, they, even though they're juniors and seniors in high school you know you, and you see how athletic some of them are and Pearson has some really talented players and you know but at the end of the day they're just kids and, and they're doing what their coach tells them to do and they're trying their hardest and yeah they're upset after after they lose a game, you know, later they'll say we had a great season and we had a great run, but you know, to end your season in a game like that, it's, it's going to be extra tough, but you know, they'd be, they'd be crying whether it was two to one or 11 to zero, um, you know, because they're just, for a lot of them, it's their first time going through something like this. And I think it's also interesting. It's like, you know, I think there's also, it's hard to know exactly where you rank. Like when you're out here in this East end of Long Island, you may have a lot of success in sports or any other thing. And, and it's sort of like these championships open you up to the wider world and they make you realize kind of where you are in the ladder. And I, I'm just wondering, is that, you know, it must be, it's, it's great to get to the, to that level, but at the same time, you know, I think it's kind of hard for some of these kids to know where they, where they stand. And when some do go to college, I bet there's a little bit of a wake up call too. When they, when, you know, when you're the smaller fish in the bigger pond, I don't know. Does that make sense? Well, every once in a while, there's a team like Whitney Point in any sport, right? Where like you just, they're just a buzzsaw and anybody that plays them is going to, is going to have the same experience. Like I I would wager to guess that Whitney Point probably could have beat the class B and A teams as well. Like they're just one of those teams that comes along every once in a while. And, and so in a way it's sometimes less upsetting to lose to a team like that because you, there's nothing you really could have done to beat them. Whereas if you, you know, end up with more corners and more shots on goal than another team, but you lose by a goal, that's like more painful, which certainly can happen in a low scoring sport like field hockey. But again, a six, five or six, nothing loss, is one thing, but 11, nothing is just kind of like, why? Like, why'd you do that to us, man? <laughs> Local support comes from the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks, brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. 
Carrying a wide selection of new books, stationery, toys, games, first editions, and rare books. Their entire inventory is browsable on the website, SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations. Look, and, li- and life goes on, right? And one of the great things about sport are, are the lessons that, that you learn while you're playing it. And yeah. you're not going to win at everything in life. You're not, and some, sometimes you're going to lose pretty badly, whether it's, you know, a sport or just your day-to-day life. So, mm-hmm. you know, these kids will, will, will bounce back from something like this and they'll, they'll take that feeling into next year. I think, you know, to change mm-hmm. the subject a little bit, I think it's just wonderful that they're playing sports right now because, yeah. we've been, yes. you know, we've been through a long year and this fall sports season, talk about a long season, right, Drew? The, it, it, the, the, fall, the fall season last year actually was competed in the spring. So, so they went from fall sports in the spring right into fall sports again. And Drew, I wonder from all the all the teams you covered this year, did, did they was that like a, that must have been a different dynamic for them? Was there some momentum that came came into the fall this year? Yeah, that definitely it, it was definitely I think different for a lot of the kids um, getting into the just the fall see fall season. You know that when they played in the spring, that was like a very condensed season that I I think was played in like a month, a month and a half. Um, you know, if they had playoffs. So, you know, now they come back in in the fall, in the actual fall season, and they've got to play basically two months of a regular season and then pretty much, you know, go into playoffs. So uh, I, th- and you have, also have to remember is that a lot of these kids on varsity were playing their first varsity seasons and they might've been, you know, juniors and or seniors because they missed a whole year. So, um, you know, a lot of them were, kind of just kind of getting used to the play of, of varsity sport, whether, you know, whether it was field hockey, cross country, football, what have you. So yeah, it, it was different, but it, at the same time, it, it seemed like maybe after the first week, everybody was kind of back into the old groove and, you know, everybody was kind of, Oh yeah, this is, you know, this is what, you know, fall varsity sports is supposed to be like. So it was cool in that respect. I'm sure they're really happy to be out of that pandemic mindset for a while. Oh yeah. Well, don't, don't act so fast though, because the next um, hurdle that schools are going to be facing is what to do about spectators for winter Mm. sports indoors. I think that's something a lot of them are trying to figure out right now. They don't, I believe they did not allow spectators for um, basketball last year. And now they're going to have to try and figure out, do we allow people in, but with masks, do we ask for proof of vaccination or proof of a positive test? Or do we allow each player on the team a limited number of uh, spectators and they have to have some sort of list and check at the gate and they have to sit in, you know, socially distanced in the stands? So, so that's something I know that some schools are working on trying to figure out their protocol for that. So that'll be something interesting to watch and see how that develops. Yeah, I, I think the fall volleyball season, since that's indoors, might lend to uh, you know a good mm-hmm. idea how they might do things. And, um, a lot of a lot of people, obviously, you have to wear a mask when you when you go into these schools. So that's um, that obvi- that's an obvious thing right there. But I mean, as far as uh, I don't, it didn't seem like any school was really limiting the amount of spectators. But that that could change for the winter. And I think an- another. Um, you know, subject that was brought up was, you know, how many people are going to be allowed to go to like home tournaments, you know, a lot of, a lot of our schools um, host, you know, wrestling and basketball mm-hmm. tournaments and, 
they were kind of debating, you know, are we going to limit that, you know, especially for wrestling where you have these things that, you know, these matches have to be spread out, you know, you kind of have to limit how many people are in there, I guess, but um, it'll be interesting to see how they, they deal with it. Um, I'm sure each school has its own way of, of dealing with it. So when does most of that, does that start after the holidays, those sports, or are they going to be coming up sooner than that? So technically today, uh, yesterday was the first day of the winter season. Um, so they could, you know, officially start practicing then. Um, a, a lot of like games and matches don't start until later this month or really kind of like the first week of December. So um, they'll they'll have a couple of weeks to kind of decide on what's going on. I, I would think that they're going to, you know, go ahead and, and do it like they did the volleyball season where they're they're not going to limit the spectators, but everybody have to wear masks. And, and, and It'll you know, be interesting to see how the rates are as well the test positive rates because the numbers were pretty decent in the fall but the last two weeks they've been going up i think i think um at the beginning of this week the test positive rate in suffolk county was like north of five percent and that represented an increase in cases one of my daughter's friends class is quarantined right now i just got an email from bridgehampton that there's some a staff member it's like you're seeing that uptick starting to happen again and so where the numbers are i think is going to maybe uh, come into play for certain administrators when they are making those decisions as well so we'll have to wait and see what happens yeah and i think if we've if i think if we've learned anything over the last over the last 18 19 20 months whatever it's been at this point is that things one week can look a lot different than they were uh, even a week earlier so these school districts have now been going through this for a long time athletic directors they're going to adapt they're going to do the best they can uh, I, I think everybody's pretty committed to staying the course so long as things don't get really bad and at least letting the kids mm-hmm. play the sports to, to the point I made earlier, you know, this is, this is mental health uh, relief for the, for a lot of these kids mm-hmm. to get out there and play sports. Yeah. So, that, so that's, what's most important, whether the gym's empty or you got two parents in there per kid or whatever the, whatever the regulations end up being is that the kids keep playing um, and, and, and we get through the, the indoor sports until we're back outdoors in the spring. But yeah, they're going to have to think about it week by week. And and what, what it is today could be very different uh, a month or two from now. Yeah, I, I could tell you from what I've heard is that the, the Pearson kids, especially in Sag Harbor, are chopping at the bit to get back on the basketball court because they didn't get to play at mm-hmm. all uh, yeah. last winter. Um, so and th- they're supposed to have some good teams, too. So and, and those are you know, the kids that really they've they really haven't stepped on the court to play a varsity sport in two years and legitimately two plus years. So um, that'll be good for them if they can do that. Yeah, that's interesting. You, t- you talk you, you, you talk about it, uh, individual districts making decisions. I mean, there was a basketball season, right? But, right. but Pearson decided to mm-hmm. sit it out. So, um, you know, that, that was a tough call. There's a couple of kids in, in Sag Harbor has got a rich basketball history and there's some kids who really specialize in that sport and they, and they had to sit out an entire season. So a lot of those teams also got sidelined when even before the vaccination, some of the teams would have a, have a problem and then they would be out for three weeks or something. So it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The last winter season that we had, um, was like January, February. And it, that was like, it it's obvious, but it, w- it was the toughest one to have out of the gate because they were trying to figure out how to do everything. And a, a lot of teams just kind of dropped off by the end of the season because they had a lot of cases. But yeah. as Gavin had said, mentioned, you know, we've 
you know, schools have dealt with this now for, this will be three seasons now with uh, the shortened winter and spring and now this full fall season. So, um, you know, they, they've got a pretty good idea of, of how to do it by this point, I think. Drew, what else, what, what else did you see on the, um, uh, you know, I know we wanted to kind of recap the state championships. What other yeah. local teams were, were involved? I know we had some good cross-country runners out there. Yeah, the, the cross-country uh, season this, this year in the fall was, was really just excellent. Uh, we, you know, the East End has always had a strong running community, but I think it's really come out this year. I mean, the West Hampton Beach Boys cross-country team plays second in the state. Um, which is the best in program history. Um, and to be honest with you, the guys actually after the race were, they were a little upset because they, they really thought they had a chance to win that state title. And, you know, similar to the field hockey stuff we were just talking about, they were running up against this team, Burn Hills, who's, you know, a powerhouse in cross country. And I think this was their 10th state title since 1996 and their fifth straight title. Um, so, you know, they knew what they were going up against and they were expected to play second. Um, and that, but that's where they did. And they still got a nice uh, plaque to take home that we have, you know, a nice picture of. So, um, you know, and then we had, you know, some individual runners, you know, Evan Nasty from East Hampton, uh, Billy Malone from Southampton, who, you know, all ran well. You know, when you, it's a conversation I had with Southampton coach Eddie Arnold, you know, when you get to the state meet, it, you know, it, it, a lot of people ask you, oh, how you did, how you did, but it's, it's not really, that's not really what it's about. You got to the state meet, you got to the top meet that you can in your sport and whatever you do there, it's kind of, after that, it's all gravy. You know what I mean? And the Pearson girls had their team there too. And Pearson had two boys runners there. So the East end, uh, specifically the South Fork was uh, well re represented at the state meet, which was in uh, Chenango Valley near Binghamton. I also, want, I also want to give a shout out to my good friend, Peter Solo, uh, who is a longtime teacher in Sag Harbor yeah. and soccer coach. Uh, Drew, they went, they, they went pretty far this year also, and you covered that last game. Yeah, that, that, so they, they ended up losing in overtime, two to one to Alexander, Alexander Hamilton, who is a team out of Westchester. And they were, you know, both teams were evenly matched. And uh, Alexander Hamilton won, obviously, like I said, in the first overtime. They went on to win the state title. Peter Solo actually texted me that the other day. And um, it, I think it goes to show you how, how close Pearson really was this year to a state title. And, and Peter had mentioned that to me. He said, you know, when we're on, on top of our game, I think we can beat anybody. And I think he really thought, because this was, you know, I guess he, he knew this was going to be his last season. Um, he, he really thought that this team had a shot to do it this year. And they just, happened to run into the best team in the state in the regional final. So, um, but they, they have a good team coming back next year. And a lot of the kids were excited to come back with, you know, most of the team intact, although they'll have a new head coach. So we'll have to see who that's going to be. That's great. Especially because I always thought of Peter as an artist. And then the fact that he could also coach a mean soccer team is very impressive. Well, yeah, well, soccer is the beautiful game, Annette. Um, uh. <laughs> but yeah, no, P Peter Solo, I, I, I texted him this week. I said, I'll never forget our our sunset conversations in Mash Park uh, after a game. You know, he he really had a way with words and, um, you know, he demanded a lot out of his kids, but they're, they're going to miss him. He, he's a he's a larger than life guy. Um, I, I, I think he's still teaching for a little while longer, but uh, they're going to miss him out there on the soccer pitch. But, you know, that's the way it goes. You know, people people come and go and move on and mm -hmm. uh, but he'll be missed. And um, 
off we go into the winter season here. Here we go. So if you want to know what's happening in sports, make sure you pick up your copy of the Express or the Southampton Press or the East Hampton Press so you know what's happening where and whether you can go sit inside and watch a game this winter. That's right. It remains to be seen. That's right. All right. Okay, everyone. Thank you very much for coming on away. Thanks for having me. See you guys. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27east.com, and sagharborexpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts. 